All right, let's all try to say Mephibosheth three times quickly. <laughs> Don Sherritt, my letter just at the first service said, from now on he's calling the church office on Tuesday to get the readings. <laughs> anyway, our second reading is found in fifth chapter of Romans. First five verses may be more familiar to you, but I believe these remaining verses here are a sign of Paul's mind with grace. Righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to all of you. Pete, thank you for your coming and for the great work, Waverly Road, and for our opportunity to participate in that. You know, life has some embarrassing moments. Um, if, if we are uh, not afraid to name them, I had a friend who was a pastor who was running late for a potluck dinner. Uh, he, he was single at the time, and he hesitated to go inside because he was empty-handed. So he slipped in a side door hoping that no one would notice. They did. Man invited him to sit at his table. He picked up a plate at the serving table, and the way the ladies at the serving table treated him, you would have thought he brought a turkey. One of them smiled and said, Reverend, you fill up your plate. This table is for you. He contributed nothing, yet received everything. He came in as a pauper and ate like a king. He swallowed more than food, you see. He got a helping of grace. Grace is the recognition that we have no claims to make, no rights to defend. It is totally unmerited. We aren't entitled to anything. We didn't deserve life. It is a gift. God doesn't read resumes or focus on our status. We can't earn his love or merit his attention. Grace allows me, you, to be who we are not and to do something we can't do for ourselves. Robert Carpen, an Episcopal priest, once said, Christianity starts by telling you that you have no place left to go because you are already home free. God thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I have a hard time seeing myself quite that well. You want to know how special you are? Don't look at your qualities. Look at the cross. It is Jesus who makes you special, and Jesus died and forgave you when he owed you nothing. He treated you as worthy when you were unworthy. Now, I don't think the Apostle Paul ever went to a potluck, but I think he knew that we all come before God empty-handed and leave full. He writes, 
While we were yet helpless, Christ died for us. The understatement of all time. We are all really paupers. There's not a star among us. Christ welcomes us without any credentials, with not a leg to stand on. Mark Twain once said, if heaven were, were attained by merit, my dog would go in ahead of me. My dog would go in way ahead of me. Grace, however, is hard for many people to understand and even accept. We like life to be, as the old commercial said, where you earned it. We earn it. We can't. <laughs> we just can't. The problem with grace, however, is that many people don't feel worthy, ever. They, they feel unwelcome. This was Mephibosheth, grandson of Israel's first king, Saul, and the son of Jonathan, who was next in line for the throne. Only problem is, by the time of the recording, both of them have been killed in battle. Mephibosheth seemed to be the only living heir, except he didn't know one thing that had happened. God had already chosen David. And David and Jonathan, you see, were good friends. And they once made a vow that once David came to power, that he would spare the lives of Jonathan's kin, including Mephibosheth. And yet, <laughs> Saul's family didn't know that. What would David say? What would he do? And so in their haste to flee, Mephibosheth falls from the, a nurse's arms, wounding his feet and leaving him crippled. His name in Hebrew means, by the way, seething dishonor. How ironic. His whole childhood was a training ground and being a victim and looking for the cause of your misery outside yourself. Every battle David won, Mephibosheth lost. For 20 years he seethed, watching David's rise in popularity, brooding over what might have been. Have you ever played the role of the victim and told yourself that what happened wasn't really your fault? We've known people that can count all the ways they've been <laughs> victimized. Bad family, bad companions, bad no opportunities. Being a victim has an intoxicating quality. Somebody said the person you see smiling just thought of someone else to blame. Sounds appealing. You know, our past, whatever it is, can follow us because there's always people to help us remember it. My friends, Mephibosheth finally has the day he had imagined for years. David summons him to the palace. It was his worst nightmare. He, a moment he had rehearsed in his mind a thousand times. What would David do? Would he kill him? Would he mock his handicap? He was the ultimate victim. Because you see, he, he had come to expect the worst because he had internalized the worst. But David had invited him to the palace not to kill him, but to love him. And what was, wasn't read today was upon arrival, the only question David asked is, where is this son? When was the last time Ephibosheth was called that, son? The only name he ever knew was Cripple. 
His handicap had become his life, branded by a thousand stares, stigmatized by a thousand insults. He was no longer a nameless exile. He was now a person with a name. Where is this son? Poet Carl Sandburg was once asked, what is the ugliest word in the English language? And he said, excluded. You try it on. It's ugly. But this was not, I would say this is David's finest hour. He had a lot of more painful hours to come. There was never a time when he acted more like the king God wanted him to be. And in his mercy to Mephibosheth, he bore resemblance to one of his future descendants, Jesus of Nazareth. And he restores Mephibosheth to his proper place in the family, returning his resources and lands, insisting that he sit at the king's table. Now I want you to imagine that first meal in David's family. The dinner bell rings. The royal family assembles. David sits at the head of the table. Close by is crafty Amnon, joined by his lovely sister Tamar, whom her brother once raped. The bookworm is on the other side, Solomon. Then Absalom, the handsome, winsome one with his long, flowing black hair. Joab, the muscular, bronzed warrior, commander of David's army. They're all seated there, all of them in their own ways, posturing for position. And then we hear the clump, 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 clickety-clack of Mephibosheth with his crutches sitting at the table, hiding his feet under the table. Every time I take communion, I think of him. I come to God, we come to God as he came to David, crippled in more ways than we know. And God heals wounds that we can't heal. And God gives us acceptance that we can't offer ourselves. That is grace. And yet, grace is fine in a song. We're okay when we receive it, but sometimes we don't like it when others get it. This woman, former prostitute, had been married and divorced twice, started visiting a church in St. Louis. She had a lovely voice. The pastor suggested she sing in the choir. She did. After the first service, several church members complained to the pastor on their way out the door, said, that woman sits up there. You know who she is, as if she belongs there. From what you know about Jesus Christ, did she or did she not belong there? Did Jesus ever give anyone the impression that they were unwelcome? So at the king's table, Mephibosheth is able to, in a way, let go of his past. It's out of sight. And at our king's table, our human shame is covered and our sin is remembered no more. Something else happened to Mephibosheth later. More drama. Ziba started to spread rumors that Mephibosheth... <laughs> I practiced all week. I knew it was going to happen once. <laughs> that he had participated in the result of the revolt of Absalom on David's throne. It was a lie. 
And after the revolt failed, he told David that fact. David decided that he and Ziba must split the property. The Sitma. Yeah, that guy <laughs> insisted that Ziba get it all. And David, so touched by his loyalty, accepted him back again and insisted that he sit at the table again. A second invitation. To me, that's good news because though God has accepted us, there may be people who need to be re-invited to the table, who've drifted, who've lost their faith. But David's table wasn't the way it once was. It was a lot more vacant now. There were missing people. But Mephibosheth was always welcome. He was never a loser as he thought. You know, I was once a probation officer before I went into the ministry and I had an opportunity to visit a single parent living in a four-room shanty shack who worked three jobs to keep his family fed and was overwhelmed and his son had gotten in all kinds of trouble. But he had this contentment about him. And I was doing my job asking him if there were any social services I could help him to, to consider. And he pointed at a plaque that I hadn't seen by the front door. Words of Paul. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he looked at me and said, you know, I hear a lot of rich people say that Jesus is all they need. But you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Grace. It is so amazing. Let us pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for your word and for its many reminders. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Let us please stand and say what we believe.